there was nothing left inside me. I was an empty, 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 empty person. And when that chapter of my life ended, you know, I was left, I felt like I was left with nothing. But not dealing with these problems or addressing them made me an angry and just very unhappy person, which made my teenage years a struggle. My parents, especially my dad, would always ask me, like, where is all this anger coming from? Like, I've never seen you like this. Why are you like this? It's not as scary as you think. What's scary is realizing that staying in the same situation and watching years pass you by and feeling mortified to live. You're listening to Enemy Within You, a podcast that exposes the subtle ways we work against ourselves. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'm here to help you combat your negative patterns by sharing stories, ancient wisdom, and good old common sense. So by all means, go get a cup of coffee ready, and let's talk about life. Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, today is a continuation of last week's episode which is named The No Regret Fallacy. In that episode, I make a strong argument for why having regrets is in your best interest. Actually, I believe that even if you say you don't have regrets, or don't believe in having regrets, that you're probably in denial. You see, there's power in acknowledging your regrets. And if you learn to wield them right, they can make a big difference in your life along with those around you. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, and you're someone who claims to not have any regret, then give it a listen. I'm confident that you'll change your mind about the whole ideology you've embraced regarding regret. As a follow-up episode, today you'll listen to people from different places and different backgrounds share their toughest life lessons. I'll also share the toughest life lesson that I've learned along the way too. And finally, you'll learn more about the purpose of this podcast and how it aligns with one of my life goals. Now, before we dive into the toughest life lessons, I need to mention one thing to you. This past week, I spent some time in trying to spruce up the email list sign-up process. So if you haven't signed up to the Enemy Within You podcast email list, you should. (laughs) The listenership is growing into a super engaged tribe faster than I expected. You can join the email list at enemywithinyou.com. Being part of the email list will make you that much more part of the tribe. And I have some additional things that I want to put together for you this year, this 2021. So if you're not on the list, you might miss out on it. Also, I never want this podcast to be a one-way conversation. It's very important to me that this is a two-way conversation between you and me. And the best way to do that is by email or following me on Instagram. But even on Instagram, you might miss my posts or stories whenever Instagram decides to change the algorithm. So the email list is a more reliable way for us to stay connected. So again, you can join the email list at enemywithinyou.com. Just click on the Join the Tribe link on the top menu. And if you're using a phone, you might need to expand the top menu. It's like a mobile menu or something. And don't worry, I'm planning to create a better website soon. But for now, it'll have to do. So all right, let's dig into today's episode. 
So the reason this is a follow-up to our last episode is because when I surveyed my followers on Instagram and I asked them if they believed in having regrets, 45% of them answered that they did not believe in having them. Now, if you've ever answered any of the weekly polls I post on Instagram, you'll know that I follow up with questions to understand why people feel a certain way about a topic or why they believe what they believe. The anonymous voice clips you're listening to today are from people who were part of the 45% of people who answered that they didn't believe in having regrets. I haven't spoke to any of them about having regrets since they submitted their recording, but I think that if they listened to last week's episode, they might change their answer. Because as I mentioned before, I strongly believe that everyone has regrets, whether they admit it or not. So then why create an episode with voice clips from people who disagree with my worldview regarding regrets? Well, for me, it's because their voice matters too. And I never want to be the person who dismisses people simply because they disagree with me on something. Instead, I've chosen to be the person who tries to understand why they disagree with me. Maybe they know something I don't. Perhaps they'll help me ask a better question that I've not even considered before. Heck, maybe they might even change my mind about something. After all, I don't pretend to know it all, and neither should you, because the day you do is the day you lose. If you're someone who thinks that you know it all, <laughs> you'll eventually take a big L. You know, there's a proverb in the Bible that says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you don't know what the word haughty means, it means arrogance. It means believing you're superior to others. And I don't know about you, but I don't believe anyone is better than anyone else. We're all equal, no matter the gender, the race, the color, or background. Do some of us have our life more in order? Sure. Do some of us have better habits or live a better life? Of course. Are some of us more valuable than others in the eyes of God? No. I don't believe that at all. We're all different. We come from different backgrounds. We each have a different genetic makeup, and we've all lived different experiences. Which means that we all have different worldviews, opinions, and thought patterns. And it certainly means that we each lead different lives because we each have different thoughts in our minds. There are no two people that are the same. Not even twins. They might have identical fingerprints, an identical genetic makeup, but even in twins, there are subtle differences, physically and for sure internally. So what I'm saying is that we each understand life differently. You might have a better understanding of one life area than I do. But then maybe I have a better understanding of another area than you do. And the next person <laughs> just might have a better understanding than us both, in both areas, combined. You are unique in every sense of the word. But never for a second think that you're more unique than anyone else. Because you're not nor am I more unique than you or anyone else. That goes against the very definition of that word. Everyone is unique. So, 
Why am I telling you all of this? Because if I would have dismissed the people who disagreed with me about having regrets, then this episode wouldn't exist. Nor would you be able to listen and learn from their toughest life lessons. When I started to put together this episode and I heard the voice clips that they recorded, it reaffirmed me. It prompted me to share one of my life goals with you in this episode. And I'll share that in a bit with you. But first, let's listen to this person share their toughest life lesson with you. When it comes to the toughest life lesson that I've ever learned, I think it has to be learning the importance of holding on to who I am. Learning to hold on to all of the pieces that make me who I am. And I think when I think about identity, right, and and a lot of times we think about identity as how tall we are or what our ethnic origin is or what languages we speak or color eyes we have. Um, And that's all our identity, definitely. But I think it goes so much deeper than that, right? Identity is also if you're a social butterfly. It's also whether you like to eat tacos, if you were a gamer growing up, whether you're generous, kind, whether you're shy, these are all very important pieces of your identity. And I think growing up, I was always such a, a people pleaser. I was a little bit of an unconventional kid. I will say, you know, I, I grew up uh, with a lot of boys and I probably knew more about, you know, Thursday night Smackdown than I did about Barbies. And, you know, that, that was, I was always very comfortable with being unconventional, but what was more important to me growing up was being a people pleaser. I was a big time people pleaser. I was such a, a good kid, you know, straight A's. I did exactly what my parents wanted at all times, um, you know, followed everything religion wise, culture wise. Um, I grew up Muslim, so, you know, I couldn't show my, my arms or my legs and never put a, a toe out of line. Ended up at the top of my class in high school, uh, ended up at Harvard. And, you know, towards the end of college, I ended up meeting someone. Uh, someone who challenged you know me in, in in a lot of ways, but I think while they challenged a lot of my values, I was now fixated still on pleasing this person and not disappointing this person and making this person approve of me in some way. And uh, during this chapter of my life, you know, I I came to realize that in order to to make this person happy, to not be a disappointment, I had to give up certain pieces of myself. You know, and and they seemed small. You know, it wasn't like I was being asked to change my religion or I wasn't being asked to, you know, chop off all my hair or something like that. Right. But it was it was little by little. It was a little way of how I dressed or a little way of what I like to eat. You know, something had too much sugar in it and was bad for me. So I was subtly reminded not to eat it. And I did. I gave that up. Right. I gave that up and I made a conscious choice to give it up. And you know, then it was not listening to certain kinds of music like reggaeton, which I used to love listening to and being asked to give that up because it was, you know, bringing out a wild side of me, apparently. And little by little by little by little, all of these pieces of me that made me this fun, quirky mosaic of a person that grew up in, in you know, a really diverse town or whatever it was, you know, little by little, you give up these pieces of yourself until you have nothing left. You don't have to give up huge pieces to to lose who you are. You can lose who you are by giving up small pieces of yourself little by little. And, uh, you know, this is different than this is different than losing pieces of yourself because you're growing or you're choosing to change by yourself and you're doing it for you. You're doing it for personal development and growth. That's completely different. 
this was with one objective, to please someone else. We have to understand that we cannot do that. We cannot give up pieces of ourselves to make someone else happy. It's not sustainable. Because, you know, towards the end of that chapter of my life, I became so miserable. I became so resentful, so unhappy because there was nothing left inside me. I was an empty, 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 empty person. And when that chapter of my life ended, you know, I was left, I felt like I was left with nothing inside myself. And I had to, I had to begin the process of rebuilding. And, you know, while it sounds awful, it it was certainly an uphill battle. I won't say it was easy or anything like that, but it was kind of awesome, right? Because I got to meet myself again. I got to put brick by brick each of those pieces back together. And this time I wasn't making the building that I was before. I was making a skyscraper. It's kind of the analogy of um, when you break a bone, right? When you fracture a bone, the, the bone that heals, if it's allowed to heal correctly, is much stronger than the bone that never broke in the first place. And that's certainly what I feel like now. Because in the last few years, as I've gotten to reintroduce me to myself, as I've gotten to fall in love with myself again, you know, travel and see all my old friends who remind me of all the things that I love to do with them or by myself, um, all the activities, the dancing that I love to do, listening to reggaeton, eating tacos, you know, whatever it is, right? I eat all the ketchup I want now. And all of those little things, they seemed... They seem so small, but they make me me. And I love me. (laughs) I love all those pieces of me, right? And I think the journey of getting to, to where I am, not just with all of those old parts of me, but also integrating newer parts of me and and figuring out newer things that I love, right? I value each brick of who I am, the, the skyscraper that I say that I am, right? I value each small piece because without it, without all of those pieces coming together, I'm not me. And I can't let somebody take any of those pieces again. And I'm not going to give it away. I've learned that. Um, I've, I hold that to be a very important value in my life. You know, one of the examples, and it doesn't have to be like a relationship or a friendship, right? But an example recently of, of a way that I've kind of implemented that is, um, you know, I put up my first Christmas tree this year. So I grew up Muslim. I grew up in a very conservative Muslim household. And, you know, I I am still Muslim. Um, you know, I don't pray all the time, but I have a relationship with God. I remember telling my parents about my Christmas tree and they obviously didn't like it. And they felt like I was, uh, you know, following the ways of the bis- disbelievers. And my best friend asked me if I was going to do this for my kids too, because they grew up pretty confused. And I felt criticized. I felt like I was disappointing a lot of people that I loved. But hey, I love Christmas. My tree looks beautiful. It regulates my mood, makes me really happy. I love seeing presents underneath it. And you know, when I when I laid down my prayer rug, because you know, again, I'm Muslim, next to my tree for like, for like literally half of a second, it felt a little weird praying to, you know, Allah and being right next to, you know, this tree for connected to like Jesus Christ and Christianity. But after that half a second was over, I was like, how beautiful is this? How beautiful is it that this is a representation of me, my experiences of growing up in multicultural America, around friends who are Christian, and and having had my Muslim background and being able to have the freedom to, to practice religion and culture as I see fit. I think it's awesome. One day, about 10 years ago, 
I woke up around 7 in the morning. I took a warm shower. I grabbed my backpack along with my keys and drove 25 minutes to work, just like I had done many times before that. I was an application developer for a consulting company. I'd been working there for about a year. That specific job meant a lot to me because four years prior to that, I had set a goal to become a software developer. Now, when I walked into the office that day, something was different. I couldn't exactly pinpoint what it was, but for sure, something felt off. I brushed it off and started working on the tasks for the day. A few hours later, my manager asked if he could have a word with me. We stepped into a meeting room and he explained that the company was letting me go. He went on to tell me how it had nothing to do with me and it was strictly a business move. You know, the whole, it's not you, it's me kind of talk. At that point, none of it mattered to me. After giving me the news, they didn't allow me to touch my computer, just in case I was planning to sabotage a project I was working on or something. And so they asked me to gather my stuff from my desk while another employee hovered over me to make sure I didn't steal anything. It was embarrassing. Now listen, I've always had a strong work ethic, so getting let go of a job felt like one of the worst kinds of rejection. But guess what? This wasn't the first time something like this happened to me. It happened at the previous corporate job I worked at too. Eerily enough, it all went down the exact same way. I got into the office, something felt off, the manager asked to talk, I got let go, I got my stuff while someone watched, and then went home. And you know, you would think that it wasn't as bad the second time around, but it was even worse. I was convinced that something was wrong with me, that I wasn't cut out to be a software developer, and that maybe I didn't even belong in the tech industry at all. You see, I already had the odds stacked against me. I didn't go to college, so that meant that I didn't have a college degree. I still don't have a college degree. I didn't have 10 years of experience or anything like that either. I only had maybe two or three years of experience at that time. And finally, I was a minority living in Milwaukee. So during that time in Milwaukee's tech scene, just to give you a little bit more context, corporate jobs wouldn't even consider applications from people without a college degree. And if you know anything about the history of Milwaukee's tech scene, it was even more rare to be a minority who was a software developer. I was used to being the only minority on the teams I was part of in the corporate world. Sometimes I was the darkest person in the room, and I ain't even that dark. <laughs> and yet, I was still able to seize a developer position for a consulting company. That was a blessing from God, and I felt it was such an accomplishment given how the odds were against me. But I won't lie, getting let go twice from two separate companies back to back shook me. Suddenly, all of my missing qualifications were all I could think of. I felt like a fool for believing that a Mexican boy from the hood could ever be a software developer without any schooling. I felt like a phony. If there was ever such a thing as imposter syndrome, I was feeling it at level 110. So luckily, something I was intentional about since I started my technology career in corporate America was building a healthy professional network on LinkedIn. 
And so within about two weeks of losing my job, I received two job offers. Both were for higher pay, doing the same kind of work, programming, and they were both located closer to where I lived. Now listen, I'm a spiritual man. And when I prayed about these job offers, I felt like God told me not to take either of the job offers. (laughs) And so you can imagine how I was, right? I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe I'm in the wrong prayer closet. I mean, I'm not sure that this is God's voice. So I prayed about it more. And the more I prayed about it, the more I felt like I should turn down both job offers. So once I was sure about it, I took my ex out for dinner. We had only been married for about a year at that time. She was in school full time and I was the sole provider financial wise. And with most major decisions, I always discussed them with her to make sure we were on the same page about our future, since I know that my decisions would impact her or affect her. So we got to the restaurant like any ordinary couple. She told me about some of her school stuff. We ordered food. And as soon as the waitress took our orders, I told her that I had some news for her. I went on to tell her about the two job offers I received. She was super happy about it. I mean, she was all ready to celebrate. And so she asked, which one are you going to take? And then I told her that I had been praying about it and I felt like I should turn both of the offers down. She was like, uh, what? Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're telling me that you feel like you should turn down both job offers? (laughs) So you can only imagine what was going through her mind. So eventually she asked me, if you're going to turn down the job offers... What are you going to do then? I went on to tell her that I had no idea. You see, all I knew was that I felt in prayer that I needed to turn down both job offers. Maybe there was a better job I needed to wait for. Maybe it was time for me to switch careers. I didn't know. All I knew was that I felt like neither of the jobs were for me. This was such a strange thing for me to say or even do. You see, I've always been a man with a plan. For most of my life, I've been calculated with my decisions and even more so with achieving my goals. And then she said something I didn't expect her to say. She told me, Luis, I don't know what you felt in prayer or what your plan is. But here's what I do know. Since I've known you and I've been with you, the one thing you've never failed in is providing for us. You've always found a way to keep a roof over our head, clothes on our backs, and food on our table, even when the odds were against you. She went on to say, so if you feel like you should turn down these juicy offers, then go ahead. I have no reason to question you when it comes to providing for us. I'm confident that you'll find a way. I'm not even worried about it. After I heard what she said, I got a little emotional won't lie. My first thought was, wow, man, I married a good woman. (laughs) And my second thought was, she's right. I've always been a natural provider. Why am I stressing about it so much? You see, it made all the difference for me to be reminded about who I was and who I still am for that matter. When she said those words to me, it reaffirmed my being. And you know, maybe she was the only person 
I would receive something like that from during that time in my life. Getting let go from two jobs in a row shook my confidence so much that I questioned my ability to provide. Because if I'm being honest, deep down, I was hoping that she would persuade me to take one of the job offers, maybe even help me decide which one to take, but she didn't. Instead, she saw me for who I was and who I am still today. She knew that who I was would take me further than any of those two job offers could, especially if I was feeling a spiritual pull to turn them down. Now, this is the part of the story where you might think that I realized a profound lesson, but nope, I didn't. I didn't realize a life lesson until later on that year. One of the toughest life lessons I've learned, I would say this far in my life, I would say has to go back to that uh, age-old saying, to that own self be true. I unfortunately learned that lesson after my father passed away. There are aspects of my life that I struggled with, mostly out of fear of disappointing like my parents, my family, and just the people around me. But not dealing with these problems or addressing them made me an angry and just very unhappy person, which made my teenage years a struggle. My parents, especially my dad, would always ask me, like, where is all this anger coming from? Like, I've never seen you like this. Why are you like this? And I would tell him I don't know, even though I knew exactly what the problem was. I just didn't want him to know. When I finally put my fears, you know, to the side and embraced who I truly was, it felt amazing and my life changed. It was like a giant weight was lifted off my shoulders. I became my true self and I was happy. But for me, unfortunately, I wasn't able to until after my dad died. And part of me feels like now he won't ever know who I was fully. But when I think sometimes in retrospect, by his actions, I feel he knew the real me before I did. But unfortunately, the reality of it is I'll never know if I had been the true to myself from the beginning and I had the courage to be me sooner in life, you know, would my father have been proud to still call me his son? There's a lot of unanswered questions I have that I won't get answers to because I couldn't come to terms with certain aspects of my life sooner and that's just a lesson I'm just gonna have to live with so a couple of months after I had that conversation with my ex I started a business and just to give you some context the only reason I started the business was because a friend of mine needed help with a website it was a small project that I sold for about $150 Yeah, I know. Clearly, I had no clue what I was doing. But that project helped me gain some confidence. It familiarized me with the sales process, the accounting, and the project management side of things. I learned and I liked doing that project enough that I decided to build the business full-time. And so I did. I read all the how-to articles, bought a bunch of business books, And I really tried to see what other people were doing to sell projects or freelance services. I did my best to try to emulate what successful freelancers were doing. You see, I was fully invested into making this business work. About a month later, I sold a second project for about $1,000. 
Now that was better than the first one, but still not enough to sustain me. And then I sold my third project for $650. This was less than the one before. So that means that in three months, I made less than $2,000 between my first three projects. Things weren't looking too good. (laughs) I was clearly failing in business. But you see, failing in this business was more personal to me because not being able to produce enough income through this business felt like it was a confirmation that I just wasn't cut out to be in the tech industry. I was pretty much ready to quit and start applying for jobs again. But then a thought came to me. I was reminded about a principle I learned in the breaking world. By the way, side note, breaking means breakdancing, just in case you're wondering. The principle goes like this. You can imitate, but you can never duplicate. You see, in the breaking scene, originality reigns supreme. I'll give you an example. Let's say you enter a breaking competition. And let's say you copy someone else's original move. The breaking community will call you out for it and they'll lose respect for you. And if you win the competition by stealing other people's moves, you'll lose even more respect for that. But on the other hand, let's say you lose a battle, but you stayed original. You even threw in some of your own sauce into your moves. The breaking community will give you more props than someone who wins by stealing other dancers' moves. You see, the breaking community will always champion originality over imitation. Does that make sense? Okay, so you're probably wondering, what on earth does dancing have to do with learning a tough life lesson? Well, after I was reminded about this principle, I realized that I was failing in the wrong way. Failing in the wrong way? What do you mean? (laughs) The principal didn't give me the confidence to succeed in business, no. No, I was still semi-convinced that I probably wasn't cut out for the tech industry. But what I decided that day was that if I was going to fail, I wanted to fail the right way. Now that sounds kind of funny, right? How does one fail the right way? Isn't failing in any way still failing? Well, for me, there is a distinction between failing the wrong way versus failing the right way. You see, if I was going to fail, I wanted to fail in my own style, in a way that was original to me. In other words, if I was going to lose this battle, I'd only settle for losing while staying true to myself. And only then would I truly know that I wasn't cut out for this kind of work, that I was truly incompatible with the tech industry, I'd walk away with dignity and self-respect. So I went back to the drawing board. You see, up until that moment, I was trying to sell projects like other people. In other words, emulating them in all kinds of ways too. For example, I was emulating extroverts to sell projects. You know, I would dress up very corporate-y. My business approach, my business model was like, like if I was a consulting firm. And if you truly know me, you'll know that I'm not extroverted. I mean, I can flex an extroverted muscle, but my default and my nature is very introverted. And I definitely don't give off corporate America vibes. So what I did was I started from scratch again. I questioned every decision along with every assumption I had about business and about selling. 
I searched for the intersection between what made sense to me and with what fit me and my personality in every single decision. And so I crafted a business accordingly. For example, instead of dressing corporate for meetings, I decided to dress how I would any other day. Usually it was jeans, a t-shirt, some tennis shoes, and a beanie. That was one of the things I never liked in corporate America was having to dress up in a way that wasn't comfortable or didn't feel like me. Another example would be that I decided to limit having meetings only on one specific day of the week versus scheduling them or scattering them all throughout the week. You see, meeting with people drains me. And usually, let's just be honest, I mean, work meetings are usually unnecessary. Most of the things said in work meetings could probably be just sent in an email. Now, keep in mind, I wasn't sure if any of these decisions or approaches would even work. All I knew is that I do my best to enforce all these new decisions that I was intentionally aligning with who I was. And so if I was going to fail, at least I was going to fail in a way that stayed true to me. And guess what? Do you know how much I sold my fourth project for? I sold it for $40,000. Crazy, right? And you know what's even crazier? It took me less than two months to complete. At first, I thought I just got lucky. But then I sold my fifth project for $25,000. And then the project after that? for $30,000. Actually, I've not sold a project under five digits since then. That was eight years ago. And since then, I've been able to generate enough income to sustain me and even work on side projects like Mighty Introvert, Authentic Pivots, and most recently, this podcast. It turns out that I'm actually a decent programmer and probably even a better businessman. I would have never found that out if I kept trying to execute my business like everyone else was. By being true to myself and making decisions accordingly, I've been able to live a life I never fathomed. Again, you can imitate, but you can never duplicate. You see, I could imitate all kinds of people, but I can never duplicate their results. Why? Because we're different people. We have different backgrounds. We have different worldviews, different thought patterns. Now, am I saying that you can't learn from other people? Of course not. You can learn plenty from other people. But the one thing you can never duplicate is their exact results, at least not in the exact time frame. Instead, I realized the best strategy was and is to be my authentic self. You see, who you are will take you further than what you can do today. My ex intuitively knew that about me. She didn't know how I was going to do it because I didn't even know what I was going to do after turning down the two job offers. But what she did know was who I was. She believed that my natural instinct to provide would take me further than any job could in the end. And well, she was right to believe that because it has taken me further than any job could have. And you see, the same thing is true for you. Who you are will take you further than what you can do today. That's a life lesson that is always top of mind for me. So much so that one of my life goals is built around it.
There are many life lessons to learn as long as you're ready to listen. Lessons I've come to learn are a multitude, but my highlights would be one, never change your roots. Roots are what grounds you, what makes you you, or the good in you, no matter who hurts you. Two, forgiving those who never said sorry. Three, breathe. So simple, yeah, but breathe. When the worst thing you can imagine happens to you, breathe. Breathe when you're uncomfortable. Breathe when life feels unbreathable. That breath is life force, and though we're unconscious of it, this breath gets us to the next level. No fail. Four, be grateful. Thank your higher power for the gold, the smile, the smallest grain of shine that sparkles your life, that whether we see it or not, it is a blessing, and we must have a feast for Thanksgiving every day. Thank you, Hayate, for all the shine I see and don't see. I breathe under your light. Hayate in Arabic means my life. I am Arab. These lessons are just a few, honestly, um, but nothing sweet comes without bitterness. The yin and yang, the dark and light of life. We must shake hands with shadows in order to appreciate and love the light within. To be honest, we must love our shadows as much as we love our light. They make us whole. I don't know you, but I'll admit I was a victim of cheating, narcissism, and domestic violence. Those are only a few from the multitude that I've gone through. I near lost my life under the hands of my lover, but I lived to not only forgive, but stay with this person for two more years after the fact, until I learned to show up for myself. A lesson I didn't list earlier, a lesson that saved my life from more incidences, to realize I deserve to show up for myself. I got so fed up with my reality, I realized it started with me. The power was and always will be me. The power to say no, the power to set boundaries, stand up for myself and walk away. It's not as scary as you think. What's scary is realizing that staying in the same situation and watching years pass you by and feeling mortified to live. Life is so beautiful. Do not give that opportunity up. <sighs> now I moved on and in a safe environment. Um, I, I moved into a new home and I feel like a magician of my own life. I paint my life in every color I desire, even on the days the shadow peaks. I hug my shadow and I thank it. I don't regret anything that once made me smile. Even if tides change and the object, person, or moment suddenly made me unhappy, I choose to see it for the memory that did bring me joy. In every regretful moment, there's a lesson or something worth celebrating. No moment in life is meant to be dwelled upon. That just means we're not seeing the lesson. I appreciate you. I appreciate you for listening. I appreciate this platform for letting me share. Thank you. Thank you so much. When I think about major regrets I've had in my life, most of them can boil down to one word. And that word is inauthenticity. If I had to use more words, I'd just say that many of my regrets in life happened because I wasn't being true to myself. Maybe I did something out of character. Maybe I didn't say or do something out of fear or lack of confidence. 
Maybe I failed in the wrong kinds of ways because I wasn't confident enough to align my decisions with who I was. Let me ask you something. Did you notice a common theme in today's anonymous voice clips? The three voice clips that were scattered throughout this episode talked about the toughest life lesson each one of them had learned. The toughest life lessons each one of them talked about had to do with staying true to themselves. Now keep in mind that none of these people know each other. They're from different places, different ethnic backgrounds, with different experiences. And yet, they each talked about a time in their life when they compromised who they were and their identity under different circumstances and for different reasons. Isn't that crazy? One of my life goals is to decipher authenticity to the point where it's teachable. We're living in a world that's getting noisier by the minute. People are constantly being told who they need to be. People are confused by the millions of options they're presented with on a daily basis all throughout the internet. The younger generations are forgetting how to think for themselves. Heck, even higher education is pressuring students about what they should be like, what they should care about, and how they should be thinking. Simply put, people are having a tougher time staying true to themselves nowadays. Now, don't get me wrong. This problem has always been around in life, but the issue is only getting worse. Now, I'm not here to teach you how to think. No, I'm here to help you think for yourself and live in a way that aligns with who you are. You see, I believe that authenticity is the greatest gift a person can give the world. Think about all the energy people spend on being someone they're not. Imagine if we took all of that energy and invested it into work that matters. What would the world look like today? I reckon we'd have the cure for cancer by now. And we definitely would have been ready for the COVID-19 chaos of 2020. It goes without saying that the world would truly be a better place. Every side project I've started contributes to this life goal either in the form of research or in creating content that sparked the right kinds of conversations or the right kind of thought pattern. The Enemy Within You podcast is helping me attract and connect with those of you who are ready to create a life that is in alignment with who you've chosen to be. The purpose of this podcast is to expose the subtle ways we work against ourselves. It exists to help you combat your negative patterns through ancient wisdom, stories, some of them are mine, many of them are from people like yourself, and finally, using good old common sense. If I helped at least one of your thought patterns change for the better, then the podcast has lived up to its purpose. And now let me tell you, you might disagree with some of my worldviews, and that's okay. The goal of each episode is is to help you be more intentional. It's to keep you be more mindful about who you've chosen to be. After all, in the end, you are your own greatest enemy. And I believe that we can become the best versions of ourselves collectively. This isn't just my podcast. 
It's your podcast. It's our podcast. So let's grow this thing together. Listen, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. We would all do ourselves a favor just by staying true to who we've decided to be in life. I'm convinced that we each would have fewer regrets and a greater impact on those around us. So I'll talk to you next week. And if you haven't joined the email list, make sure you do that. You can do so by visiting enemywithinyou.com. Make sure you click on the Join the Tribe link on the top menu. I'm wishing you the best this week, and I hope you stay true to yourself. Try to make one decision that aligns more with who you are. Try to change something that's incompatible with you in life. God bless. Thank you.